Welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch, presented by Masses Restaurants, five locations in St. Louis. STLMasses.com is the website where you can find about them, about the menus, about where they're located. It's my favorite restaurant because they're the title sponsor of Here's the Pitch, and I'll talk about them in a little bit. I'm always looking for sponsors, as you know. This show today, I'm going to give you some of my favorite Cardinals from the 2000s. Uh, some chats here that uh, happened uh, kind of when we started this podcast. We, I love when we say we. But yes, uh, some of the interviews that uh, started up the uh, podcast and maybe uh, you haven't heard them in a while or you missed some of the stuff in there. Um, some of these are longer interviews, so I try to take out some of the uh, stuff that I think is the most interesting. And I'll start with Jim Edmonds and uh, talk to Jim Edmonds about a lot of things. It's a fun listen if you go back and check it out. It was early on. And uh, in this portion, I'm going to uh, stick with his Cardinal time. And uh, there's a lot of great stories that he tells. But I'm always interested in the relationship these players had with Tony La Russa. I'm, I'm fascinated by Tony La Russa, And I'm always interested in the relationship the players had, as I just said. But uh, that's where we start here with uh, Jim Edmonds. And um, I think he's uh, always fairly candid, which I enjoy. So here's uh, just a little portion of Jim Edmonds. Tell me about how your relationship with Tony evolved because you get here in 2000 and I'm not sure how it was then, but you have a great season. Um, I know you've said father figure, but early on, he can grade on people. I'm assuming, I don't know if that's how it started with you, but how did it start with you? He was great. He called me on the very first day and said, uh, we know about you. We've done our homework. We know what you can do and just go out and do it. And, uh, you know, as time progressed, we had a lot of uh, older guys in 2000, and 2001 came, 2002, and he said, okay, you're now you're the older guy, and you're the guy that everybody's watching. <clears throat> and you need, you need to lead by example, and you need to be the one running on the field when we're losing or winning, and you need to be running out the balls when you're struggling or you're hot. So um, it's kind of something I tried to do the best I could and lead from his example, and I love the way he taught me the game and taught me how to grow up and uh, gave me a lot of responsibility, and I loved it. You get a good career going here. 04 is is one year that I think everyone will remember how great that team was. And I just I know you've thought that the 03 team may have been better, and maybe the 02 team, uh, but 04. I've heard you say that you just feel like something weird may have happened in Boston. Tell me a little bit about how angry it makes you guys that that your 04 team is so good, and you got to fly to Boston overnight, and you got to work out at six in the evening, and it's raining, and then you have to play game one, and and maybe that. Not destiny for them, but who knows what it was. Yeah, no excuses. I mean, they beat us, and, and they deserve to win. But uh, it was a weird situation. I mean, we traveled late at night. We we had to go through a lot to get there. Uh, hotels were booked up because their traveling secretary didn't think that they were going to get into the World Series. And uh, so we had a lot against us. And uh, like I said, no excuses, but we didn't play well, and they played a little bit better. And game one was a huge, huge game, and uh, there was a point in the middle of the game where we – lost control of it, and we lost control of the series after that. The catches in Cincinnati, um, everyone talks about how great they were, but I love the story you talk about the night Izzy's on the mound because you went crazy after that one, and everyone thought, oh, he's so excited he made his third catch, but that actually wasn't what it was about. Yeah, it was about me and Izzy having a beer, uh, maybe the I think it was the night before, and he had said, I think he saw a highlight. Oh, actually, we were sitting there watching the highlight from that night, and when I robbed a home run, and he said, how can you never do that for me? And kind of became just like a little silly little thing. I said, well, no one ever hits home runs off of you. And the very next night, I think it was one of the first couple pitches of the inning, and uh, Jason LaRue hit a ball over the fence, and I went and caught it. But I was kind of laughing at the fact that 
I can't believe we were literally just talking about this and it happened within 12 hours or 24 hours. So um, crazy things happen in this game, and those were one of the, that was one of the craziest things that's ever happened to me. I was going to say, and that's uh, what I think about with you was you were here uh, a really good portion of time now in these days. We don't know how many t- guys are going to stay here seven, eight years. I mean, memories like that, do you have any other that just kind of stick out that maybe we haven't heard a story about? I love that story that you and Izzy are talking one night in Cincinnati at a bar, and then the next night it happens. I mean, it, it, I know it's the relationships and stuff like that, but are, are there any others that kind of come to, to mind about just being uh, a teammate of these guys and, and the things that happen off the field that maybe go back to the on-the-field stuff? Um, you know what? Not really in that aspect. I think there's a lot of times when – you know, guys can go out there on the field and, and talk about um, certain ways to approach the game. Or I remember uh, in the 2006 World Series, uh, Fernando Rodney was pitching, and he had a really good changeup. And um, we had talked to someone that was going up to the plate, I believe it was Preston Wilson, and I said to him, unless his changeup is chest high, do not swing at it. And uh, Preston went up there and got one of the, the biggest uh, key hits for us in a game. And um, just things like that. I mean, it's it's so great when you work as a team and you go through so much adversity and you go through the grind, you know, talking about just going out there every day and trying to compete. And um, when things go right, it's just so much more special. It's it's crazy how things can, people put their mind to it and listen and work together. That Crazy stuff goes on. We have a couple more minutes with you. I appreciate your time. I uh, started looking up how many times Carlos Zambrano had hit you, and I think it was 15 uh, I'm just kidding. I think it was six or five or whatever. But what yeah, – Cubs-Cardinals back then was great. But what was going on with him, and why did he just not like Jim Edmonds? It seemed like this was personal with the big guy. Well, I think that um, – you know what? Albert did a lot of damage against him, and Scott did a lot of damage against him. So I kind of fell in between, and I hit a few home runs off of him too. So I think that one day he was just – he threw at me just because, um, you know, he'd always show cutters inside, and sometimes they'd nick you or they'd hit you. And he threw me a cutter that – hit me in the leg and um the next time I went up I hit a ball out of the stadium against him and then uh the next time I think Albert um hit a home run off him and then I was behind Albert so you know he's just kept throwing so you know he was one of those guys that you never knew even even when I played for the Cubs um the guys on the team didn't know what he was going to do and didn't know how he was going to act but I'll tell you what when I played for the Cubs he couldn't have been nicer and more respectful um he was a really big kid you know, he really never uh, looked at this game for anything more than just being fun. And sometimes I think the maturity level of guys like that just don't really get it at times. And, and then they have to apologize after. But you know what? He apologized to me. Uh, he had nothing but fun playing the game. And he was he was a little bit of a you know, intense competitor. And sometimes that boils over. Well, those are weird situations too, right? When you I know the Mike, Mike Matheny, Julian Tavares story where you got to go play with a guy that may have been throwing at you I mean that has to be weird to be part of that but it seems like you uh, did it very well um do you have any other ones that you I mean the, the Matheny Tavares ones do you do you have any other guys that that was no, that had to happen? no not really I really didn't uh, there's obviously guys that you just dislike playing against but then you end up playing with them and you realize that they are um you know they are super nice guys and just like you and it's funny some guys you're scared of some guys you're not and they end up being the reverse order, and um, you know everyone's out there just trying to do their job. And you know intensity happens because of the the heat of the battle, and sometimes things turn out pretty ugly on the field, and sometimes they end up working out. So it, I found over the years that when you end up being on the same team with a lot of guys, you end up. 
getting along with them and everything's just fine. You get to keep any memorabilia and do you have a favorite piece or anything that you've collected in your day or is that kind of not what you do? No, I, I really don't have a lot. I kept a few things. Um, I didn't really collect and I didn't really, um, I, I collected a lot of my stuff or I kept a lot of my stuff. So I have a lot of it at home, but not, you know, other than the gold gloves, I think not a lot of stuff on display. I have a few pictures that were really special to me, but other than that, I've really tried to get away from the game and really focus in on my family and I think that they uh, pretty much are the subject matter in our home now. Yeah, where are the gold gloves? They're in my office. They're just sitting in my office uh, by my desk and then other than that most of the time you're going to see uh, pictures of the kids and the family and uh, you know stuff like that. Just an ordinary office. I'm always also fascinated where they keep the gold gloves so I appreciate Jimmy Ballgame kind of uh, letting us know that they are prominently displayed there. Uh, we'll continue now as we uh, look back at some of uh, my favorite uh, Cardinals from the 2000s. Um, these are some great names. And Larry Walker, of course, is a, is a Hall of Famer probably at some point in his career. Uh, I think he will get in. But uh, Larry Walker came to the Cardinals at the very end of his career. And could you imagine if he was here four more years, five more years, uh, if he could have stayed healthy and maybe played through the late 2000s but uh he came over in 2004 and that that night I'll never forget it uh, I was watching the Cardinals that season every night it was just so much fun you'd come home and if you worked wherever you worked and uh I did and I'd come home and I'd turn that TV on and they'd be up six to nothing after three innings and Pujols is already three for three and Roland had a home run and Edmonds had a circus catch and that was all just through the third inning Edgar Renteria probably had two triples but uh in August they're up a pretty good margin on uh, the second-place team. I don't even know if it was the Cubs. Probably the Cubs in 2004. But they go ahead and get Larry Walker to add to it. I mean, just imagine. I think about what they're doing now and how how different it is. Like, Tony basically said, go get me Larry Walker. I think that'll make us a World Series team. Uh, and now we're, we're just hoping Dexter Fowler can can play right field. Anyway, I don't want to get into all that. But anyway, Larry Walker comes in 2004, changes the uh, course of the outfield, and uh, we start with Larry talking about that trade. I look at these numbers and they're nuts, but this uh, normally a lot of Cardinal fans like to listen to this, so we'll start uh, with the end of your career. So you get... Uh, you block a trade to Texas because you can, and then uh, the Cardinals come in, in early August... And it's this, the craziest, most surprised trade of all time. I think anybody who was who was watching the Cardinals that night, first of all, it's one of the best teams we've ever seen. It was the most entertaining team I've ever watched. And there's buzz like what Larry Larry Walker Cardinals. We're, we're 30 games over 500, and we're bringing in Larry Walker. Just a little bit about what your thoughts were when you kind of got. Um, I, I think you got some phone calls from the, some some of the players, and you started hearing about it from the, from that side. But just your thoughts when you heard the, that that was starting to be kind of the talk in August. Well, I tell you, it almost didn't happen because of what you said with the Texas deal. I had uh, I had people on the inside that were close to me, and uh, even agent wise, telling me that I I need to take this trade. It's a it's a good situation over there. And uh, I spoke with the GM uh, with the Rangers at the time. I spoke with the ownership of the Rangers. Um, and just something in my gut after a day and a half, I, I, I remember sitting up back in the, at my place in Colorado, just on a swing, just contemplating this thing. And, uh, something, something entered my mind and said, uh, it's not for you. And, uh, and I, I blocked that trade uh, against everyone else's wishes. And, uh, 
and and shortly after that, a few days later, that's when yeah, the cardinal thing came came knocking on my door. And um, like I say, as a as a visitor, I never really went. To, first of all, I never really went to Texas that often. Well, I think I only had one trip there. But obviously, being in the National League, I made, made numerous trips to St. Louis, and um, and I, I think pretty much 100 percent of the ballplayers that come into St. Louis as a visitor uh, would one day dream about having that uniform on. And you, you play in front of those fans uh, with that organization, the history behind it and the support that they get. And, uh, you, you know, that, that, that doesn't come around very often. So it was really a no brainer for me when the, when the call came, I did, this one, I didn't sit on my swing and think about. And, uh, and then with messages from Roland and Edmonds, uh, uh about what, uh, what goes on over there and how, how things roll. It was, uh, it was, you know, I was really looking forward to getting there. And, you know, it, it took me, it took me a day to get there and only because my daughter was in town visiting. It was tough just that my mom was there too. So, you know, they, they flew in from, uh, from Canada and then said, I mean, mom, I got three days to report, but I really can't do that in this situation. So I, I, I took that night cause they wanted me to fly out that night. I took that night to stay with them and say goodbye to them and left the next morning. And, uh, and then, and the rest was history for me. I came there and, and, and thoroughly enjoyed my every every day I had in that uniform. On a swing, I'm trying to picture this just Larry Walker on a swing. Was it a big swing, a tree swing? What what kind of swing we got? Here? <laughs> well, the house is up in the mountain, so it was one that was on the side of the mountain that uh, uh, that can sit uh, three people. So just swinging back and forth on that, uh, just in my own little world, trying to to come up with the answer. How'd you end up in Jupiter then? Because you, obviously the Cardinals are down there. Is that, or do you have two homes? I mean, you're Larry Walker. You can live wherever. <laughs> well, I had a home obviously in Colorado, playing there for ten years almost. And uh, when I first started playing professional ball, I signed with the Montreal Expos. Montreal Expos spring training was in West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, and uh, that's where I, I purchased and, and bought my first home. So, no home in Colorado, or still a home? I, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get the geography of where you live these days. Yeah, oh, I live in West Palm Beach the majority of the time. Uh, that is where my head is uh, uh, for most of the time. I make trips to various places. In fact, I'm leaving to go back home where I was born and raised in Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, in, a, in three days. So I go spend some time up there with family and friends. Yeah. So my goal is to winter in West Palm Beach. So I'm, we're almost there. Next January, I'm going to be down there. I think for thirty days. Not that you care, but I'm. Maybe we'll uh, break bread. Uh, you and Rick Ankeel and Matt Holiday, Matt Yadier Molina. So many guys live down there. But uh, I'll try to I'll try to make sure I'm out of town at that, that point. <laughs> I'm going to. I just want to say I'm going to winter somewhere. I didn't want to live there. I just want to winter somewhere. Uh, that's a good choice. I'm all right. So I'm still pissed about the World Series in 2004 because, like I said, that team is just. Uh, as a fan, I grew up a Cardinal fan, and I just as we get further away from that team, uh, the the '85 team is the one that sort of. Got me into Cardinals. The '87 team was was like the best team I ever saw, and then the '04 team. So how pissed are you that that team doesn't? Not only don't they win a World Series, but I know Jim Edmonds has said, "Man, it almost seems fixed. Like this is just like Boston's ordained to win." Did you feel that way? And you know, Game One was so close, and then Game Two not so much, and then it just said it was like over in a snap. It did go by very quick, unfortunately. And uh, you know, I was telling some some of the campers here at Fancy Camp last night that. It took a lot of years for me to get that out of my system. I had nights where I sat at home. I couldn't sleep. I'd lay in bed and just think about what could have been. You know, you're on a team that that's ta that talent and, and good that, uh, you know, first losing is, is, is a heartbreak, but doing it in four games too and not even winning a game is, uh, it breaks it even more if that's possible. But, uh, you know, I, I don't so much 
go back and, and have those nights where I can't sleep. But they have happened, but they're far and few between now. Whereas the first, like, geez, three, four years, literally, it, it ate me up pretty bad knowing that that was, uh, as it turned out to be my, my only and, and, and only chance to, to, to win a World Series while in, in uniform and playing. So five, you guys get another chance, and I, I think you were you were kind of hurt pretty much a lot, right? I mean, how hurt were you by the end of '05? Because it, I think it, it, you just pretty much let everyone know after uh, Game Six at Bush you're, that you were done. Um, could you have played a couple more years, or did you just say I cannot do this anymore? Well, you know what? I think it was a, a combination of a lot of things. Just 17 years in the league was a long time. Um, the, I, I had a I would see the black cloud over my head as far as injuries happening, and I could not shake that. Uh, you know, I don't know if 13 years of hockey and then uh, all the the baseball that I, you know, I played fairly reckless and uh, didn't uh, show a lot of respect for my body at times, and uh, that's just how I played. And, you know, just the rehab from a lot of those injuries, from my knee being completely reconstructed to broken collarbone, uh, separated shoulder, uh, and then when I got there, I remember being in Milwaukee, and, and uh, the game ended. I went in the in the weight room to work out a little bit with uh, Pete Prinzi, the strength coach, and I was on so on, an incline doing some incline uh, bench pressing, and I had, only had thirty five pounds on, just doing a lot of reps, and I couldn't do one rep. I got it like halfway. And my left arm started shaking, and, and it gave out on me. And that's kind of like, what the heck's that all about? So, tried it again, and couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't lift thirty-five pounds off my chest, and had no idea what was going on, you know. And uh, um, went and got that looked at to find out what was going on. Yeah, it hurt some, yeah, but you know, like I say, every player plays through through pain. Uh, you don't play through injury, but I played through pain, and, and it turned out that I had a herniated disc in my in my neck, and. Uh, now that was a struggle that year. It uh, it was bothersome for every swing that I that I missed, which you know happens. And and I had three quarter zone shots in my neck just to get through that year. And and I just couldn't fathom having to get that fixed uh, after all the rehabs I've been through. And I thought about the seventeen years, and it was a long time. And uh, and to get through that at my age uh, just didn't seem right. I didn't want to be that old fart trying to hang on to play for another year when some young kid could be in there. Uh, you know, doing something a lot more productive than I probably could have done. Could have won a ring the next year, though, Larry. I'm telling you. Well, <laughs> I, I can look at that two ways. I, I was able to to be in spring training with the Cardinals and traveled with them a few times. And and uh, as class as the Cardinals were, uh, they gave myself and Cal Eldred a ring, the World Series ring for for doing all that. So I ended up getting a World Series ring, but I was not playing at the time. So um, so that was obviously an amazing honor. And then the other side of it, if I would have played, they might not have won a ring. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you said a young guy, and I was just thinking about that. Chris Duncan, I think, had 23, 24 home runs. And so he, I guess he sort of took your place. So that that is interesting. Um, characters on that team you had... You had Tony. Did, did you have? Do you have a great Tony Larusa story? I, he seems like for you, probably just hey, you go bat second and give us damage. Do you any good stories about him though that you found? He's such a unique guy, and I love hearing people talk about him. No, like I said, it was it was an honor to play for him, the organization and Tony Larusa. You know, he's uh, one of a kind, and uh, the knowledge that he has uh, in the game, for the game of baseball is is pretty incredible. He did tell me that uh, early on that he was supposed to. Uh, I think managed the Red Sox. Did he manage the Red Sox? I can't remember the story exactly, but uh, he wanted to, to, to draft. Uh, the first player he wanted to draft was me. 
and uh, I guess it ended up not happening. He didn't get the job or something along that line. So that was that was pretty neat. But when I came to the Cardinals, he called me in his office and he just wanted to pick my brain on on how I play the game and you know what what's what's my thinking out there. And I gave him an honest answer, and it's really how I played my career. And I said, I said, well, Tony, when uh, when I'm hitting, the guy's going to throw the ball, and I'm going to hit it. And I'm going to run. Uh, when I'm in the field, it's going to reverse. The other guys are going to hit it. I'm going to catch it and throw it in. Uh, that's basically about it. <laughs> and he looked at he looked at me and said, uh, "You're a funny guy, though. Seriously." And I go, "Well, that actually is seriously. I don't. I I never tried to make the game more sophisticated or complicated than what it is. And I tried to take put all the simplicity into it I could. So that's literally how I thought of the game. Such a fan of Larry Walker. Such a good dude and such a a, a great career. And uh, it is interesting. Uh, you play in Colorado all those years, and those numbers do get inflated, and then. It turns out it hurts you when you get uh, Hall of Fame votes. But uh, Larry Walker was one of the greatest talents of all time. And, and the way that I look at it is I ask other players who played with with him or against him, and they all tell me he's the best player they've ever seen. They've never seen anybody hit like him. So I'll go with their assessment, not uh, not Tim Kirkchin's uh, or John Heyman's. Uh, we continue with the best of Here's the Pitch. And again, these are some of the interviews I did earlier on. And uh, I really enjoy talking to Ricky and Keel. I'm always interested in what Ricky and Keel did. Um, at the beginning of his career, he was a young kid. He was 19 years old. And he's thrust upon this, the scene, throwing his first game in Montreal. And uh, he uh, looked great. Uh, had this 12 to 6 curveball, had a 92 mile an hour fastball. 2000, he starts the season in the rotation. The 2000 team, by the way, if you look at that rotation, no one missed a start. It's crazy. They had five guys make 30 starts, and it's a trivia question. Who made the uh, six most starts on that team? I'll let you think about it, and I'll uh, give you the answer after this. But uh, five guys made 30 starts. Ann Keel was one of them. And we start with uh, that. The debut in 1999, and then he talks about the 2000 season. And, of course, uh, we can't go anywhere without talking about the wild pitches. This is when he was promoting his book. So here's a, a little snippet of the uh, time I had with Ricky Ankiel. Looking back at, at 1999, the day in Montreal, give me everything that goes through your mind that day. I don't remember when you got called up. I know you pitched in Montreal, but mm-hmm. I can't remember if you got called up here. Give me everything that happens that day because you're down – I don't even know if, if you were in double A at that point still. I was in Memphis and triple A. Okay, I was so in Memphis and triple A. So I got called up. Um, I actually got called up in New York. And, uh, you know, I got to see a game there. And then we moved on to Montreal. So for me, I, I mean, it's everything that you've ever dreamed of coming true all in one moment. You're on that path that that I always dreamed of being a big leaguer. And then, you know, in my mind then was to become the best pitcher that's ever played the game. So here you are in step one of that. Um you, you know, all the emo- it's hard to describe all the emotions that, that come and go with it, but I just remember as a young kid, um, you don't even feel nerves. Just, it's more excitement, and uh, I can't get to wait, can't wait to get out there and prove that I belong here. Did you – did it come too fast at all? Did you think at all when you look back at how uh, your career went, or did you go, no, this is how it was supposed to be. I was signed pretty high. I went through the minors, yeah. and at, even at 19, I felt like I had it and was ready to go. No, I thought they should have called me up at 18. I think it took too long. No, um, everything, it, it was just, it was how everything was going. You know, I haven't, I hadn't, uh, I mean, we looked at the way I was progressing as a pitcher and everything that happened that year, especially in 99 season. 
um, between 98 and the 99 season, something really clicked for me because when I came into spring training in 99, it was just, you know, as a different pitcher, I, I felt like I had a lot better control, a lot more understanding of what was going on in pro ball, and I just really matured and grew as a player. So um, for those things to happen, um, you know, it, it was hard to hold me back in a way because of the way how good things were going. Uh, we talked about both being young at that point. I may have been a couple years older, but to be 19 and be a major leaguer and be in these big cities and being able to go out and St. Louis should become kind of a hero in, in the town. And what was that like? I mean, was it as fun as it seemed as I was seeing you have? <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. I mean, you're, here I am. Um, I just turned 20 by a month, and you know, you walk by a bar and there's guys inviting you in to have a beer and. You know, where I'm coming from in Florida, that doesn't happen. So I'm thinking, nah, I'm not going. I'm not 21. I'm not going in there trying to set me up or something. But then you understand the loyalty and the way that people, you know, really rally behind baseball here and, and know that it was well well meant and there was nothing ill meant by it. But, yeah, I mean, I mean all, I'll say this. For all young Cardinals that come up, you're kind of like instant stardom and instant royalty because they pay attention to the minors. Everybody knows who you are. So here you go from being, you know, just a, a little small kid from a small kid small town to being in a big city and everywhere you go everybody knows who you are so yeah um it was an absolute blast i loved it so we get to the playoffs in 2000 you have a great season tell me a little bit about because i i don't know if you talked about it a lot Mm -hmm. over the last oh i don't know 10 years through the first decade it seems like you've kind of made some some headway especially by the book and and writing and kind of talking about that how often have you thought about you know what happened in the playoffs the, the wild pitches and it, has it been more easy to talk about now that you're not playing and had some time to look back at it sure because once i moved over to to be a position player um i i didn't feel that it was fair to go back and talk about the pitching here i am trying to make a career as an outfielder and a hitter and uh to spend all that time that i had already spent on talking about it those five years that i was working on the pitch and stuff i just didn't feel it was fair to my position playing career um, but yeah now going back i think they're you know and this is part of the book too is 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 um out of curiosity not in a sad way but just out of curiosity like what what did happen and is there a way to help the next kid that goes through this kind of problem and stuff like that not only that but i know there's going to come a time where um you know my kids are going to want to know and um you know i I think that's a those are the, the biggest reasons in writing the book and um you know it's been a fun journey and looking back so are we going to sell some books today is it something in the book where you finally figure it out or is it even still after writing the book where you go i don't know if i have figured it out i could give you that answer but i want to make you wait to read the book you book writers joe buck won't tell us why his vocal cord is uh, is broken but uh when you think about that that time though there was so many years of of trying to get back to it and just tell me a little bit about just how hard that was because you had the injuries you had the things going on and you had the super talent you knew to me it seemed like didn't really get to see in those years but it felt like you still didn't give up and you you still had this great feel about what was going on uh the positivity i think is what mm-hmm. i'm trying to get yeah. is that true is it what you had or was it really were there dark times there there was definitely dark times ugly dark frustrating um you name it i think you know i've said this before in other places but it's the hardest thing that that you'll ever go through that I that I think anybody will ever go through um especially it was definitely the hardest thing that I ever went through personally you know all of a sudden as you say I have this gift and all of a sudden it's not reliable I can't trust it and nobody can actually tell you what happened and what you know or how to fix it and and I wish 
you know, at the time you, you hope that there's just, it's a bad dream and you're going to wake up or there's this magic pill or magic drink that you're going to drink and it's all going to be over. But, you know, unfortunately it doesn't work that way. But a um, lot, of, lot of dark times, um, you know, and I gave it everything I had and I made it back to the big leagues. And, you know, for for me, you know, I, um, you know, at the time, um, you know, I could have been a, after I made it back, you know, I was somebody that could have helped the big league team win. Was I the pitcher that I was before it happened? No. Um, but nobody knows what those next 10 years would have looked like. I only knew that um, I didn't want to go through what it took for me to go out there and get it right every day. The curveball, though, you get a chance to throw it to me this spring at fantasy camp. We're teammates a lot down there. I know that's a big thrill for you. Uh, for me, it's definitely a thrill. But, no, I did see you throw the curveball. You still have it. I mean, tell me a little bit about when did you realize that you had this, this yacker, this 12-6 to 6 Uncle Charlie. I mean, I've, I've read about it with you and your dad kind of mm-hmm. working over and over in Florida. Just tell me a little bit about how old were you when you finally realized, wow, this is a, this is a special pitch. Yeah, well, I had a pitching coach when I was a freshman named Charlie Frazier uh, down in high school who really started to take it to that next level and got it better. And then I went and played on the USA Junior team. Um, and I had another pitching coach, who, who his name was Bill Olson, and he took it from being good to great. Um, I think I met him my junior year on the on the national junior team. And then, uh, you know, when I came back for my senior season, here I am in high school, and I had the same curveball I had in the big leagues as I had in high school because, you know, he took it to that next level. And I, and I think once those – I already threw hard from the left side. And, and once that happened, then – you know, I, the clear path was obvious that I'm going to be a pitcher, not a position player, or the fastest route to the big leagues anyway. Um, and then it became fun. I mean, it, it was almost like nobody could hit me. So um, why wouldn't it be fun? I would say, I mean, in the fastball, too. I mean, not right. only did you have, you had this 99, 95-mile-an-hour fastball. I just, it, to me, it was fun watching, and it, and it just was it as fun as it looked when you were on the mound? Because I mean, like, when we get through 2000, you have 175 strikeouts. You have some numbers that many rookies don't have in their first year. 194 strikeouts. Sorry, well, I gave you one there. There was a rainout. I think there was a rainout one night. Um, well, no, I can't believe I like that you know the numbers. Though. That's good. Well, because they've been brought up to me over and over, and I know that I broke Dizzy Dean's rookie record, so that's how I know that. But, um, no, it was a lot of fun. I mean, as I talked about, just as in the first game of making it to the big leagues, here I am on the path of I want to be in the big leagues, be the best pitcher that's ever pitched. Um, I, I think it was the talent spoke for itself. Uh, and one of the biggest things that I look back and think about was that the talent, not only I was good enough to where I was up in the big leagues learning because I couldn't learn anymore at the AAA, AAA level. So it was like well, they needed to bring me up. And I was still learning here. So, I mean, if I was to ever um, – you know, I, I think there are times now when uh, I'd look back and say, man, I, just, I wonder what would happen if we had got to see 15 years of this, you know. Um, but it is what it is, and, and, uh, and here we are, and, and um, I'm as happy as I could be. The, the 2000 team, uh, I think of the hitters first because it was a hitting team. You think of Edmonds and McGuire, Renteria, and then you had the pitchers of Daryl Kyle and Matt Morris, who wasn't pitching then, but he was around, Pat Henkin. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about, I mean, that team was fun because, first of all, we watched 99 was not, a yeah, great season. Right. We moved to 2000, and Walt makes this crazy move for Dave Veers and Vina, and he gets Edmonds in March. Just tell me about some of those players and just what it meant to have that kind of t- – Will Clark comes in mm-hmm. later. The great, the thrill. Yeah, the I mean, thrill. literally the thrill, the thrill was playing here. Yeah. No, for me, I'm looking at all these guys that I've watched on TV as a child, and all of a sudden I'm teammates with them, and I'm, you know, I'm putting on the same uniform they are, and we're a part of the same team. Uh, it's, it's the most incredible feeling. I remember um, – 
you know, as the season was as the season was coming down towards September, I kept thinking, man, I don't want this to end. I don't want to go home. This is the greatest thing ever. I'm young, and you know, I'm, you know, now too, I know how tiring it is. But it's funny because at that young age, it wasn't tiring. Um, it was just the greatest thing ever. I never wanted it to end. But to be able to get a chance to play with some of those guys, and as you said, you say McGuire and Will Clark and all these Edmonds and all these great, unbelievable players uh, moving to the pitching staff. Um, so thankful for Daryl Kyle in my career because as a young kid, he really took me under his wing and just you know, showed me what it was like to be a big leaguer and what it was like to pitch in the big leagues. I mean, this guy paid attention to every pitch, not only every pitch, in that, every pitch that he threw, but every pitch that you threw. And, you know, after games at dinner or whatever, we'd always talk about it. What were you thinking there and why'd you do this? And this is what I would have done or this is what I saw. Um, great job here, great job there. So uh, what, a, what a blessing to have him on that team and um, – I'll be forever thankful. I was going to say, missing DK, when you saw um, the, the, the ceremony they had at the stadium mm-hmm. and all the teammates that came back, I don't think fans realize what a guy like that means to a team. I mean, everyone sees the curveball and sees the mm-hmm. 20 wins, but that's just that's just half of it. I mean, yeah. and baseball's so mental, too. Just right. give me a little bit about you kind of went into D, DK, but what it meant to come back and be part of that. Because you were here, I believe, right, mm-hmm. with Pete Hart. I, was in the, I came back. I was actually working on um, some things in the minor leagues, and I came back for the ceremony. But, um, you, you know, the, the, when you look back, it just it's just – and you were around. I mean, the guy, he, he was so much fun. There was always so many games that were going on amongst the pitchers and the players, and, and, and he was the lead dog on that and just – Keeping everybody intertwined and, and um, entertained, it was it was incredible. And then you talk about the ceremony that they had for him. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, you, you're talking about um, a lot of the teams that he played for before, and all these guys leaving the, their teams to come here for that and missing the missing their game that day. Um, you know, it was pretty incredible. So obviously, DK had a big part in uh, bringing. Ricky and Keel along, and uh, it's crazy when, as a fan, you just think of how sad it is that uh, this guy's gone, but, man, he just touched so many players uh, along the way. You could tell by that funeral uh, at Bush Stadium what a tough time 2002 was. But uh, always fun to catch up with Ricky and Keel. I hope you're enjoying a best of. Uh, of course, always going to be bringing you new shows here in 2019 with different guests different uh, walks of life, but uh, we'll stick with baseball a lot in the summer. I'll be at Bush Stadium, hopefully a bunch, to get you uh, some of your favorite players, some of your favorite broadcasters from other places, and all kinds of baseball talk, along with other just fun. That's what I like to do here on the podcast. And if you're interested in finding out more or wanting to sponsor here, you can find me on Twitter, at Brad Stravenger. You can look at my blog page at bradsportspage.blogspot.com. Got a lot of good stuff there if you're interested in seeing what I'm up to, um, what I'm trying to do with the podcast and my YouTube channel. I put all these interviews up on YouTube, and I'm looking to get to 1,000 subscribers, and you've been very helpful out there. Hopefully, you've been subscribing. But if you haven't, go subscribe. It's very easy. You just click a button. That's all you got to do. Click a button. You subscribed. ST Weekly is the channel name. You just search ST Weekly. That's how you find my YouTube channel, and boom. You've subscribed and you've made me very happy. I put all the podcasts there. Like I said a few times ago, the Stuttering John podcast has over 70,000 views now. Howard Stern fans out in force as Stuttering John was ripping Howard Stern. But that's this kind of podcast. That's what we're trying to do, give you a few different uh, looks of uh, baseball and other good stuff. So I'm going to end the uh, podcast here today with um, Adam Wainwright. And I caught up with uh, Waino back uh, last season, and we talked about some of his uh, 
great accomplishments. It's crazy. He is going to be a Cardinal longer than many Cardinals. I mean, when it comes down to it, he's going to be on the list of longest tenured pitchers and most likely will not pitch for any other team. So in this era, uh, definitely will be wearing a red Cardinal jacket. But that's where I start off with Wayno is just being a Cardinal this long and um, it just seems like yesterday that he was on the mound at the end of 2006, striking out Brandon Inge, striking out Carlos Beltran, and uh, we obviously talk about that too. It's always fun to talk to Adam Wainwright. Here he is talking about his length of service with the Cardinals. But what is it for you when you start thinking about how long this career has gone and the fact that you're a Cardinal this long and you've done it 11, 12 years, is it crazy to you as it is to me watching, thinking, man, this guy's been here a long time, and that doesn't happen for a lot of people. Crusty is definitely <laughs> not the right word. Uh, but I do feel, uh, you know what, you know what I have? I just feel incredibly thankful to be able to have played that long in one city, especially in this city of St. Louis. I, I never say that uh, in jest because it, it is the most, you know, the thing I'm, I have a chance to do that I'll look back on and be the proudest of is playing in one city for one team uh, with a chance to win every single year and and uh, helping be a part of some of those winning teams. I mean, I don't want to be anywhere but here. I'm always interested in the dynamic of um, the travel and the clubhouse because you guys are here and you're your family for, for eight months. What What is the – give me one or two big changes and maybe not just uh, people on iPads in the games, but some of the things that are tangible from basically when you came up here in September of 05 where we are now in August of 2016, because it feels like there's a, it's a kind of a big change, but I don't, I don't know what it is. But maybe you can tell us. Well, the game has changed in tons of different ways. I mean, every pitcher throws 95 plus now. I mean, that used to be the the one guy that did that was the guy pitching at the end of the game. Maybe you know, maybe one fireballer starter like Nolan Ryan or John Smoltz or somebody. But usually that was the end of the game guy. Now everybody throws. The mop up guys now are throwing 95 plus. You know, with breaking balls, so it's very tough on hitters. I'm seeing a lot of power uh, these last couple years compared to where it was. It seemed like it trended down for a while there. Uh, guys are more patient at the plate, seemingly. They're walking more. Um, but, you know, there's more young guys in the game today than I think you've ever seen. If you look at, at the way it used to be when we had to hit every level, we had to spend a year in A ball and a year in double A, a year in triple A. And then if you were lucky, you know, if all the veterans, you know, got hurt then you could get a call up maybe in September now guys are getting rushed up here 2021 20, 22 years old they're expected to make a difference in this game of baseball up there in the major leagues and it's, it's very tough on those guys how fun is it for you to watch a guy like Alex Reyes who hopefully will have a similar career to you and is doing exactly not exactly because you did pitch that whole season in 06 but they're grooming him to do exactly what you did come out of the bullpen fireball do this do his thing and then he'll start next year what's it like for you almost is it a mirror image do you see a little bit of that in you and him maybe because he throws a little, a little harder maybe it's a little different but what, what do you think he throws a lot harder than i ever threw but what i do see about him is a is a great presence about him he's not scared in the big moments which is vital for somebody who's going to pitch in the late parts of the game and also be a great starter at our level i think when you look at alex you see a supreme talent who's going to learn great lessons in the bullpen down there coming out of the bullpen very much uh, like he had to do the other day and get his first save, you're going to face situations, big-time moments that, you know, as a starting pitcher, you're going to face. You're going to have bases loaded sometimes. You're going to have uh, the, the spot of the game where, you know, the game is, is – it all rides on that moment. If you make the out in the fourth inning sometimes with the bases loaded and their cleanup guy up, 
you win the game. If you don't, then you lose the game. That's very similar to the way uh, closers and late-inning pitchers have to be. So he'll learn a lot of good lessons down there. I think anybody who watches this team should know that as a fan, I know people get all worked up about how the team's 500 or they're not going to catch the Cubs, but I know you guys know that it's a different season every year, and if anybody looks at the history of this team, 06, he had to get to the last day of the season to get to the playoffs. 2011, he had to get to the last game. Sometimes it's better to lay in the weeds. We looked at last year's team with 100 wins. Just tell me a little bit about how you think about this team. We're looking at a team right now kind of playing maybe its best baseball or maybe still haven't seen it. Well, I think when you look at our team, certainly been a frustrating year for most people on our team, including myself. I'm just so uh, so frustrated with my season. But if you look at our team, we're still nine games over 500. We have uh, a chance to great, greatly improve on that down the stretch, I think. We're going to have some tough series for sure. But, you know, the, what can't be missed is the, the Cubs have played great baseball. I mean, they're, they're borderline number one team in the game of baseball, so you have to tip your hat there. So what we also know is that we've come back from a lead like this before, and we've won a division, or we've, we've gotten the playoffs when we were ten and a half games back to start September against the Braves in 2011, we end up winning the World Series. So sometimes when you have to fight tooth, tooth and nail all the way down to the the very end, the nitty-gritty, we've seen playoff teams uh, who are the wild card team. The Royals did it, I think. They got to the World Series that way. You look at the Giants a couple years ago, they won the World Series after being the wild card team, winning that one-game playoff. The teams that have to work on it all the way to the very, very end are sometimes the teams most ready for the postseason. You uh, basically came back from an injury that no one thought you'd come back from last year. You come into this season, and um, you know I think maybe you've admitted maybe there was a little bit there to start this season. Tell me a little bit about what you think about uh, about your season so far, and the fact that you won't tell people that you're not going to use that as an excuse. And that's what I think is funny about you is you could you might might get fans to think, oh, okay, well if he is hurt, you know maybe this is a good explanation. But just tell me a little bit about where you are now and what the season's been like for you because I know it's been kind of up and down. Yeah, well it started off horribly. Gosh, I was one of the worst pitchers in the game for a while there. And and the good thing about it was I knew that I, I that's not who I am as a pitcher. So I knew I was going to come out of it. I knew I was going to put together some quality starts. And I had two months in a row where I was just about the best pitcher in the National League for a while there. And that's, that's where I expect to be. That's who I need to be, and that's where I will be going in the future. Those last, this last month has been really frustrating for me because it, it just sort of took away from all those, those two months that I'd worked so hard to get back where I wanted to be. And this last month really kind of set me back a little bit. But I know deep down what the most important thing now for me is, is to play good ball down the stretch, pitch good games, keep these teams in the games, try to win as many games as we can going down the stretch. And when we get into the postseason, uh, I'm very comfortable in the postseason. I know how to pitch. I know how to play in the postseason, and I can be very dangerous there. We'll get back to the interview in a minute, but I want to tell you about my favorite restaurant in St. Louis. It's Masses. They have five locations. There's one in Newtown and St. Charles, one in Baldwin right off of Manchester. The Winghaven location is fun. Town and Country at 141 and 40, and, of course, Bridged in the Old Place. It's Italian fare, any type of pasta you want, red sauce, white sauce, I had a Cajun chicken pasta that is unbelievable. Cajun chicken pasta at an Italian restaurant, and it's unbelievable. They have this beef pepe medallion that the sauce you will not taste anywhere else. Of course, they've got St. Louis-style pizza. The Big Al is, uh, is, a, is a fun treat if you're ready for a Big Al pizza. The bartenders are fun. You'll have a great time there if you're with your family or friends. It's stlmasses.com. Each location is different, so if you try... 
going out to Winghaven one time, maybe you'll go to Baldwin the next time, and you'll have a totally different experience, but the food will be great, it'll be affordable, and you will have a fun time. There's no bologna in the cannelloni. It's Mass's Restaurant, five locations, St. Charles, Baldwin, Winghaven, Town & Country, Bridgeton, stlmasses.com. Go check them out. Let's get back to the interview. We have a couple more minutes with you. I appreciate your time. Uh, what was it like? Uh, I, that 06 team was the first team I got to travel with, and, and I know for you it was your first year. What was it like to do what you did in front of that team this year when they had the reunion and you, you just come out and do what you did? That, I mean, that has to be, in my opinion, one of the, the highlights of your career. When you get all these guys back here, you, you can't let them down. It was certainly one of the highlights of my regular season career, for sure. I mean, that was uh, a time where... Um, I hadn't seen half that team since 2006 or 2007. It had been the last time, maybe. And so, I mean, to do that in front of those guys, throw a shutout here against a very tough team in the Marlins, a team that was ahead of us at the time in the standings, uh, that was pretty That was pretty rewarding. You know, that was pretty rewarding. It also shows me that I still got it, you know. <laughs> I still got it, and I'm going to be tough like that going forward. You talk to spring training. I always find your, your uh, candor interesting, and I just always think it's fun that when you guys get on Twitter and you might have some fun, and then you're like, maybe I don't want to be on Twitter anymore. Tell me a little bit about opening yourself up and then having to hear it from maybe other fan bases. Well, the people that follow me should just know that if they say something stupid, I'm going to block them. You know, I, I, I like being a part of it. I like sharing uh, some of the memories that I'm getting to do and getting to see with fans, and I like... Uh, when they respond, and I like having the interaction there. But uh, if it comes into hate mail, then I'm just—I mean, it's fine. You can do it. I'm just going to block you. You know. And so sorry that's, about that. I would never. That's that's last it's, time. It's perfectly fine. Most of the time, I get really funny stuff from Cubs fans. I mean, they hate me. You know, and that's understandable because I've whooped them for a long time there in Chicago. <laughs> but they got me this last time pretty good. So uh, sometimes it goes around, comes around, and and uh, I, I like it. I, I mean, you know. I, I'm not the most active Twitter guy, but I try to stay involved, and I, I try to uh, send some stuff out occasionally to keep people interested and and to let them know that I'm interested. But sometimes, sometimes you got to block somebody. Two more. Twenty-second player. I read this on Wikipedia. I was shocked by it. To ever hit a home run on the first pitch. Did you know this? I did know that. Okay. Yeah. What yeah, does that fun. mean? I mean, that's got to be all the pitching accomplishments aside. You're a hitter, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm a hitter. And I, I'll, anybody who wants to hear it, I'll tell them about it. You know, all I have to do is ask. But, uh, I, I, you know, the position players on our team get sick of me talking about hitting, but I love it. I have fun. I would never want to play in the American League. So, lastly, we were talking about 06, but I, I, I remember a night that Josh Kenny got scared out of his out of his wits going into his hotel room. Yeah. And if you can kind of bring that back and just how fun it was for you to be. I mean, we're like I said, we're now 10 years past that that point. And you're a veteran, but being a youngster on that team and, and having little moments like that, maybe you can describe what happened to Josh. Yeah, so sometimes what we do is when we get into a city, I'll, I'll swap somebody's key out for for somebody else's or I'll just if there's two keys in there I'll just take somebody else's key because all our stuff is laid out on a table when we first walk in off the bus and uh, I got in his his envelope and I took a key out and three or four of us got into his bathroom shower and you know it's inevitable when you get done with a long plane flight you come in and and you have to go to the bathroom and so we wait in the shower sometimes and and, uh, get the young guys who who are just the the recent call ups and we hide in the shower and and jump out and scare the you know you know what out of them, and uh, Josh is a is a outdoorsman. He's a bear hunter by trade. I mean, he got guys stare down a black bear in the face, but 
you know, when three or four of us jumped out of the shower in the bathroom that night, uh, he was laying on the ground. He dove on the ground like a little, like a little uh, two-year-old and was terrified, so we got him good. Those are the memories you always say, right? That happens a lot. People don't know about that stuff, but that's the thing that, that the family part I was talking about. Scarier than a bunch of black bears, that's for sure. Yeah. Always enjoy talking to Adam Wainwright, his karaoke contest coming up at Dave & Buster's on uh, Friday, and hopefully a lot of people get out there. I'm going to try to croon with uh, some of the other folks. We'll see what happens. I doubt that'll happen. But uh, love talking to Adam Wainwright. So glad he's back. I, I don't understand people that are uh, fans that are like angry that he's back. It's it, it's not a scholarship this year. If he doesn't pitch well, then he then I don't think Mike Schilt will just keep throwing him out there. There's plenty of other pitchers, and I think it's a wonderful insurance policy, and I think he's going to have a good year. I really do. I think he'll He'll, uh, I'm not saying he's going to win 20 games. I don't know what his ERA will be, but I think he will be a huge presence and he will make a difference if this team is going to win. I do think they need another starter. I think they need another bat. And I would like to see a little more in the bullpen. I mean, why Why do we just say, okay, Chase and Shreve, you, you, you know, that's going to work. Um, I, I didn't like any year where Judd Jerko was your starting third baseman and Jose Martinez was your first baseman or your right fielder. Um, it just didn't seem like a winning team. I think they've helped with Paul Goldschmidt. Obviously, that's a big move. I love that move. That's the best bat you could possibly get this offseason. I think he's a better bat right now than Bryce or Machado, so that that's a big move. Um, but I still think there's some weaknesses on the team, and I just hope it's uh, filled before April. I hope we're not going into April going, oh, let's go ahead and get Greg Holland. We do need a closer, and then it doesn't work out. That is going to do. That was a long diatribe, but hopefully you're ready for some baseball talk. Uh, I'll be probably hanging around the winter warm up and trying to find some stuff to do over there. So keep an eye on my uh, YouTube channel, ST Weekly. Follow me on Twitter, Brad Strobinger. Follow me on Brad's sports page.blogspot.com. I'll be putting all the information at those places. And uh, hopefully a big, fun baseball season with lots of coverage on uh, from my end. I'm looking forward to this season. I think it's going to be big fun. Thanks for listening. New episodes coming your way soon on Here's the Pitch.